Good morning. Can everybody please be seated and quiet for the reading of God's Word? Hearing the Word of the Lord from Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. Taking the twelve aside, he began to tell them of the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. James and John the sons of Zebedee approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. What do you want me to do for you, he asked them. They answered him, Allow us to sit at your right hand and at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? We are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they began to be indignant with James and John. Jesus called them over and said to them, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as trinets over them. But it's not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to be great among you will be served be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Reading that. All right, so we're still in Mark, y'all. <laughs> uh, we've been in this for a minute, and we still got like, I don't know, about five more chapters to go. Anyway, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful to see you guys. I'm thankful to, to be here and worship with you all this morning. You know, when I think before I was a Christian, when I thought about the word, you know, church, I thought primarily as, you know, a building or, or service. Um, and, and, and now I see, you know, church is the people. It's the relationships uh, that, that we build. It's the, it's the extended family uh, that, that we have in Christ. And I just want to say I'm just encouraged um, to see so many of you serving and caring for one another. And just there's, there's public ways that's, that everybody can see, but then there's other ways that people are serving. And so I'm just super just thankful uh, to be a part of this family. It is, um, it is a gift uh, to me, and it, and it strengthens my heart. Uh, to be a member of this church with you all. So, um, yeah, I love y'all. I love y'all in the Lord. That's what somebody said to me yesterday. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Look at all that love. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad to be with you guys today, and I'm thankful to be able to open God's Word. 
When we look at the text today, uh, here's the main point. Christians ought to imitate Jesus, the suffering servant, in order to live out true greatness. Christians ought to imitate Jesus, the suffering servant, in order to live out true greatness. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us to understand your word. But without your help, uh, your, your word remains a, a mystery to us, a, a maze. But, but if you open up our hearts and open up our ears to believe, to hear and receive, Lord, Lord, your word is clear and life-giving. So, Holy Spirit, help us to understand the words that you have written in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we start in verse 32. It says, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were astonished, but those who followed him were afraid. One thing I get from this verse is this, that Jesus faced the hardships of obeying God head on. Who here knows that sometimes to obey God is difficult? Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you're like, I don't want to do that. I don't know what's going to happen. It might be awkward. It might be painful. What will, I, what will I lose? And sometimes we either don't obey or at least shuffle our feet as we seek to obey. But Jesus looks right into the heart of danger and says, I'm going there because God requires me to do so. Jesus was going straight to the place where his enemies were. The religious leaders of Jerusalem were plotting his death. All the way back in chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against Jesus how they might kill him. So it's not secret, and it's not secret what they want to do, and he's Jesus. Even if it was secret, he wouldn't know. Okay, so, so the reason that people are astonished is because they're like, Don't you know where you're going? Don't you know who is there? Don't you know what they have been playing against you? Nevertheless, Jesus knew what God called him to do, and he decided to go straight into the heart of danger because that's what God called him to do. He was going to people who had both the power and the connections to make their threats a reality. You know, some people threaten you, and you're like, okay, whatever. You ain't nobody. But these folks... They had some power, some clout. They could persuade the government to carry out capital punishment. And just like his disciples, we should be astonished at the boldness of Jesus. That word astonished, they weren't like a little interested or somewhat confused. They were amazed because they knew exactly where Jesus was going. And when you think about Jesus Christ, one of the attributes that should stand tall in your mind is the fact that he was bold. Our Lord and Savior was bold in speech. He never minced words. Speaking the truth no matter the consequences. And beloved, he was never controlled by fear. The things that make us hesitate in obeying God, Jesus boldly walks forward. And not only should we be astonished, we need to follow Jesus even if we are afraid of what may happen as a result. Get this. In, in the verse it says, those who followed him were afraid. But what were they doing? They were still following him. 
They were afraid. They, they kind of knew where we're going isn't a safe place, but, but where else am I going to go? Who else am I going to follow? Listen, listen, sometimes to follow Jesus means that we were, will walk straight into hardship. And you might be afraid, you might be scared, but nevertheless, you walk anyway. And let's be real. Those who follow him, they were understand. It wasn't like a fake fear they had, right? It was like, well, Jesus, you remember when they was plotting? What are we doing? But Jesus, face forward, ten toes to the ground, if you will. They still follow him. And, and we are often afraid because of at least uh, two reasons. We're afraid, one, because of others' opinions. They're walking into the heart of the religious establishment, and it was clear that they did not believe Jesus was who he said he was. And if they were to be associated with Jesus, what would that make of them? That's why, that's why Peter denied Jesus, right? On the night that he, before he was crucified, they were like, aren't you Galilean? He's like, I don't know him. I don't want to be associated with him. I know what y'all think of him. I know what y'all would do to him. I don't want to be with him. We're afraid of others' opinions, and oftentimes we're afraid of what we will have to give up. Sometimes when we're, we're on the threshold of obedience to God, what's going on in our mind is, will I have to give up this or that? Will God let me do this thing that I want to do? Or what if he calls me to do this thing I really don't want to do? Who knows all the thoughts that was going through the followers' head? We know they were afraid, and they might have been afraid for a variety of reasons, but they followed him anyway. And beloved, that has to be what we do. We might be scared. We might not know exactly what we're walking into, but we follow him anyway, because that's where true glory awaits. We are so afraid to follow Jesus because we think that we have the master plan of our lives and that our wisdom is greater than his. Yeah. But then we see the example of Jesus. He walked to the cross, but beloved didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. And where is he now? He's seated at the right hand of God with full power and authority. We follow him Anyway, because though the road might be shaky and take us to places we don't want to go, we know where it ends. One of the things that Jesus does is he essentially confirms their fears. Jesus was humiliated in order to save us. He says, taking the 12 aside, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him, and he will rise after three days. I just imagine that the disciples weren't particularly comforted by this word here. <laughs> they like... I knew we shouldn't be going to Jerusalem. <laughs> like, I, I, I should have been scared for a reason. <laughs> you know, they're like, maybe he's taking this side. Don't, don't worry, it's going to be okay. He says, now actually the things that you're scared, it's worse than that. Get your mind right. He was headed right into the den of danger. We, we were reminded, listen, that Jesus suffered for us with full knowledge of what he was walking into. Yeah, I, listen, this is, this is, is kind of... This is like, uh, I went to North Greenville, this is a Christian university story, but here's what happens. I always would like to open the door for people after chapel into the, di into the dining room, right? That's a long line of people. All right, in my mind, I'm like, I'm opening my door for like five people, and then somebody else is going to take it, right? Because that's just common courtesy, you know? Now, by the 25th person, I'm like, doggone it, man. Why, why did I open this door? <laughs> 
If I had known what I, if I would have known I had to be late in the line to eat, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have opened this door. Sometimes you sacrifice because you don't know what you're getting into. But y'all, that's not what Jesus did. He knew full well the height and the depth of the sacrifice that he was making for us. He knew that he would have a mock trial. Listen, who goes to trial at the middle of the night? It's shady from the beginning. It's the middle of the night, they're taking Jesus to trial. Like, can you wait till the morning? No, we got to do it right now. He knew that he would go to a trial that had false witnesses. The scripture says that they couldn't even get their, their, their stories together. They were contradicting each other. He knew that he would be spit on, that he would be shamed and humiliated. He knew that he would be flogged. That's a punishment of, of repeated lashes or blows with a whip or a rod. He knew what that, that, that was before him. He knew that he would be killed in the most shameful and public way. Yet he went anyway. No surprise, nothing uncovered, no accidental sacrifice or service, but one with a, a unique and extensive knowledge. The, the, the one who, who made our, our blood vessels and capillaries, he knew what it meant to get beat. Yeah? The, 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 the one who dwells in inapproachable light and he gets honored for eternity, he knows what it means to be shamed. He had exquisite, perfect knowledge of what he would walk into for our sake, and he did it anyway. He says, it don't end like that, y'all. After all that, I'm going to rise again. There's going to be a victorious resurrection. But, beloved, the victory lap would come, but there must be pain and suffering on the way there. And so I, I don't know how you would respond if you heard this news for the first time. I'm sure they were like, oh, snap, man. Like, what we got to do? And here James and John come. Looking like doofuses. <laughs> James and John, the sons of Zebedee, approached him and said, Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask you. You, you know they started off wrong right there. <laughs> what? Now, Jesus ain't no, no dummy. What do you want me to do? <laughs> they answered, Allow us to sit at your right and at your left hand in glory. What this teaches us is that we have to beware of selfish ambition. Here's the deal. They knew from the get-go that the question was wrong. Because of the question they asked, can you do what I say? Well, what you going to say? They knew. Why else would they ask Christ to give them whatever they asked? Like, Let me get some assurance. I'm about to ask a stupid question. But, but if he say yes on the front end, at least I'll get it. That, that, that gives us some time for, to examine our own motives. Do, do we ask God for things with wrong motives? James 4, 3, it says, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. If that isn't a picture of that verse, I don't know what is. Not Jesus, I'm sorry you got to suffer. Jesus, what, did you, can you say it? Where, where are we going? You said it was going to spit on you? No, nah, hey man, listen, let me get the best seat. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Let me just get the best. That's, that's what I want. Listen, listen, sometimes our prayer go, goes unanswered because our motives are wrong. And we need to analyze that. 
We need to have some self-examination. Am I asking God for things just to spend it on my own pleasure and my own glory? And I think from the text, God's answer is what? No. You you can't have that. See, James and John, they they wanted public glory, which is crazy because they had forgotten what they already had. We look back at James and John and go, wouldn't it be tight if we could walk with Jesus? Like if we could see Jesus do the miracles, if we could hear him teaching and hear him commanding demons to go away, wouldn't that be cool? They're like, that's fine, but can I get a better seat though? They didn't know what they had. They experienced this closeness to Jesus. And not only that, Jesus gave them authority to do the very things that he did. So they are going around experiencing divine authority, teaching, preaching, healing, and casting out demons. You think they will be satisfied, yeah? I'm like, can I get some of that? I don't know. I mean, like, 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 and that's so crazy because it wasn't enough. Intimacy with Christ, walking side by side with him. His shared authority, that wasn't enough. Man, selfish ambition often starts when we don't remember what we've already been given. If we could take a step back and go, well, what has God given me? And am I satisfied with it? If I am not, I'm going to end up saying stupid stuff like James and John. We've got to be careful about selfish ambition. It, it makes you forget what is truly important. You ain't met somebody who has this selfish ambition, who wants to, to be, be the best for their own glory, who also is very caring and loving to their family. Often their family goes by the wayside so they can accomplish the goal or the task. The selfish ambition that makes us look like fools. Seeking for things that, in the end of the day, they don't compare. So Jesus turns the table on me. He tells me that greatness in the kingdom, it, it requires suffering. In verse 38, Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup or be baptized with the, baptized, the baptism I've been baptized with? What'd they say? We are able. <laughs> we are able, they told him. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those of whom it has been prepared. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Can y'all understand why they was a little salty? What's crazy is like they was right there. <laughs> you think they would have pulled them to the side, you know? John's like, can I be the best? And Max's like, what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> See, he, Jesus himself, he demonstrated, he walked that path of greatness. And the greatest of all time is the one who drank the cup of suffering and the one who was baptized with affliction. I don't know if y'all remember this, but this, this, the prayer of Jesus the night before he was crucified, it sticks with me. Because that's the only time we see him flinching with fear. And if you remember the words he said, he said, Father... Would you let this cup pass from me? What, is he, what cup is he talking about? 
What is he talking about? Look, the cup in an Old Testament reference, it always had the same uh, meaning. It was a reference to God's judgment and God's wrath. Look, Jesus could walk face first and not afraid of pain, not afraid of suffering, but God's wrath, his anger against sin, his judgment against sin, that is the cup that he drank on our behalf. He was baptized with affliction. Listen, listen, that, that word baptized, it just means to be immersed, right? When somebody is baptized, the water is everywhere around him, right? He's like, I'm going to be baptized with affliction like that. That every place I turn is pain. Listen, on the cross, the craziest thing to think about is, yes, Jesus felt pain, and that's horrible. But, but have you, okay, have you ever been falsely accused of something? You're like, I didn't do that, but everybody think I'm guilty. That's a bad feeling, ain't it? People shaming you, you feeling, you feeling all guilty. Now, here's the deal. You might feel some kind of way, but maybe you weren't guilty of that, but you was guilty of something. Sometime in your life you did something. Imagine feeling the weight of guilt and shame of the entire world when all you ever did was justice. Beloved, that's the cup that our Lord Jesus drank. And to be great like Christ means that we must drink a similar cup and be baptized with a similar baptism. Now, not the cup of God's wrath, but the cup of suffering for God's sake. But if we're going to follow him, if we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and seek to be light in the world that Jesus said is dark, then we will encounter hardship. There's a, a baptism, if you will, of misunderstanding, a baptism of, of, of persecution. And what's so interesting is James and John, they did end up drinking this cup. They did end up being baptized with this baptism. Tradition says that, and that's not true, Scripture says in Acts 12, James, he is the first apostle to be martyred. He, he did drink that cup. He did get baptized with that baptism. And then John, he was the last apostle to die, but he died in exile after torture. Are you willing? Are you able? They said we are. I'm sure they did not have in their mind what was about to go down. What's interesting is that, is that they, they wanted these seats of honor, right? And what Jesus is communicating is, listen, listen, God gives his seats of honor based on his sovereign plan. It's just based on, based on his pleasure. See, God's honors are not gifts. Well, see, God's honors are gifts, not rewards. St. Augustine, he says that, that God crowns his own gifts, meaning this, if you have something of worth to give to the Lord, you would not have that thing had the Lord not given it to you in the first place. Whatever you offer to the Lord, that itself was a gift from the Lord. So, beloved, if you reach some sort of place of honor in the kingdom of heaven, it's grace from beginning to end. His mercy. And we see right here in the text that selfish ambition causes division. We understand why the disciples were mad, right? That's, that's easy. I would have been mad too. This is why, I, you know, I like playing basketball. And, and when somebody's a ball hog, that's why I don't nobody want to play with them. I want to shoot too. <laughs> don't be a ball hog, man. Y'all can have me on your team. Listen, selfish ambition 
What it does, it steps on others in order to get ahead. Maybe they weren't, maybe James and John weren't thinking about the other 10, but they show stepped on them. They show devalued them in order to get what they wanted. We have to be careful and beware of that. Jesus continues, and we learn that greatness in the kingdom of God requires servanthood. In verse 42, it says, Jesus called them over and said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be a servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be slave to all. We learn this is that, that uh, listen to this, this is very carefully, authority that exists for itself is always abusive. Authority that exists for itself is always abusive. If someone wants to be in charge for the sole and main reason that they feel like they're a big deal, they're not going to be good at being in charge. God created authority. He created structure not for the one, not for the protection of the promotion for the one who has the role but for the protection of the one whom he has authority over. See, God created various authorities for the protection and flourishing of people. That's why we have uh, parents. Why do we have parents? Because you're supposed to protect your kid, not so you can get your kid to serve you, right? That's, that, let's be real. That's why we have a government, hypothetically, <laughs> right? Not, not so that the people in power like look at me. They're like, well, let me make sure the, that, that the, the, the society is safe so that people can do their job without fear. People who use authority and power to lord over others and act as tyrants, we instinctively know are evil. That's why when we're in school, nobody's like, what do y'all want to be? Someone's like a dictator. We'd be like, fam. <laughs> like, nah. You know, like, like if somebody was telling my aspirations to be a dictator, you're like, well, I'm going to stay away from him. Like, we instinctively know that's not okay. We have taken this, this concept, this role of authority, and we have, have, have taken something good and twisted it for evil. And beloved, that is the root of all sin. We take something that God has given as a good and holy and right gift that's meant to bless others, and we selfishly turn that thing inward. We make it something against God. And to lead others in Jesus' kingdom, and I will say to lead others well, in, just in period, it means that you put the needs of others before your own. That's, that's, that's true leadership. That you put the needs of others before your own. And the thing that I love about Jesus is he does not tell us to do stuff that he don't do himself. Matter of fact, in the very text, Jesus is doing this. Where is he going? To Jerusalem. Does he know what he's going, what's going to happen? He does. And he goes anyway. Why? Because it will serve and save those who follow him. We who have authority or power or influence in any area, we must use it for the good of others. Not for ourselves. Imagine if James and John had looked at their position like this. Yeah, you know, Jesus had to enter three. It was Peter, James, and John, right? And so, so let, let's be real. They probably had Jesus' ear a little bit better than the other ones. And what if they came to Jesus and they said, hey, man, Matthew, he's been having a hard time. He's, he's been struggling. Jesus, can you help him? 
What if they had used their influence and their authority not to to ingratiate themselves with power and authority, but to say, can you help him? And that should should test us about our prayers a little bit too, yeah? We got the ears of Christ Jesus. Do we use it only for ourselves? Or do we use it to bless others? See, we, we, we must all ad- adopt a, a servant-hearted attitude so that the way that you wield authority and power, and, and let me just, some of y'all are like, I got no authority. Listen, here's the deal. If you have influence, if you have influence, you have authority. If somebody looks to you and goes, I would listen to him sometimes, it might be a little bit of authority, but it's some. And you have to steward that thing well. See, see servants think about serving. Yeah. And slaves are not arguing about their rights. If we are entering into service for God's kingdom, thinking first about my rights, what is this going to take from me? How much time will it suck up? We're not thinking in the way that Christ taught us to think. We think about the task at hand and the people whom we need to serve. We must put others' needs ahead of ourselves because that's what Jesus did. And he set this pattern and this example. We too often seek glory the wrong way. We seek glory by wanting to be the one in charge, the one seen, the one who gets thanked, all this kind of jazz. But Jesus says, no, you you, want to seek glory, lay your life down. You want to seek glory, sacrifice. You want to seek glory? Stop, stop arguing about what your rights are or not. You serve. And again, Jesus, he didn't just say this. He lived it out. Jesus was the suffering servant who paid our ransom. In verse 45, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm, I, this isn't a notice, but I want to pause real quick. Has everybody, anybody ever wondered why Jesus all, always talks about himself in third person as a son of man? That is his most common used language about himself. If he's going to refer to himself, he calls himself the son of man. And people are like, is it because he's a man? Well, maybe, but <laughs> here's why. Jesus is self-consciously looking at a prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, the ancient of days, the father, if you will, gives all authority and power to a figure called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man sits enthroned, seated above all things. When Jesus is saying he's the Son of Man, he's saying, I am the one in authority seated above all things. So listen, so when you read that verse, it changes it. For even who? Even the Son of Man. Even the one in authority above all things. Even the one who all allegiance is deserved. Even him. Even he did not come to be served. But to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly the type of authority and honor that was due to him. And even him. He didn't come to be served. He put others' needs before himself. He suffered in our place. 
See, Jesus died to pay the debt of sin that we owe. That's that word, ransom. Beloved, we all sold ourselves to evil and Satan by our sins. Jesus said, if you're a sin, you're a slave to sin. We're like, I'm not a slave. Well, then just stop sinning. Just do it. Just stop. Can you? No. (laughs) You were slave then. We have sold ourselves into sin by our willing choice and love for sin. And we, listen, we deserve the accusation of Satan. That's one of his names in the scripture. He's the accuser. The problem is that his accusations are often true. You're wrong. I am. (laughs) You're a sinner, yeah? I deserve that accusation. But Christ died in our place to free us from sin. He was accused on the cross so that we could be declared innocent. He paid our ransom at the price of his own blood. For even the Son of Man, for even the authoritative one, for even the the one whom every knee should bow and every tongue should confess he is Lord, for even he did not come to be served. But he came to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. Man, if there's anybody listening to me and they're like, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if I know him, I don't know if I actually serve him. Beloved, this is an invitation for you today. Come to the one who does not use his authority to beat you over the head, but he uses his authority to serve you. If you would come, if you would repent, say, listen, look, I'm wrong, Jesus. Those accusations of Satan, I deserve them. If you say, look, I'm wrong and I want to change and and, and I believe that you died in my place and and you rose again, beloved, he will accept you and receive you, forgive you and cleanse you. Let's make it practical. Later in the service, we ask if anybody needs prayer to come to the front. If you don't know, you don't know that you follow Christ. If you're like, I'm not quite sure if that's me or not. That is an opportunity for you to get that right. Beloved, we we serve a Savior who served us so well. And so when we we think about following him, you know how I like to make it plain. Let's try to make it plain. So how how do I actually live out the identity of a servant? I use this word a lot, but hopefully because y'all learn it. We talk about this word vocation. Vocation. It's, It's your role or responsibilities, all right? The role is I always give myself an example. What are, what, are, what are my main vocations? All right, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a pastor. Those are my main vocations. And the way that I could serve Jesus is by looking at each of those roles and thinking primarily, not, can, what, not what my wife can do to me, not how my kids can serve me, not how the church can make me feel good, but how do I serve each and every entity well? How do, I, how, do I, how do I serve my wife? Not, not, not do, how, how do I, I hope you think I'm cool. No, how do I serve her? How do I serve my children well? How do I serve my church well? That is how I can imitate Jesus. And you, me and you might not have the same vocation, but you have one. And so the people that you encounter in your roles and responsibilities, you think creatively, how can I serve them? The people right in front of me. How can I serve my family? How can I serve those in my workplace, my neighbors? How can I serve those whom I go to church with? Not what can they do for me? The scripture says that we should outdo one another in showing honor. That only happens as if we are all thinking about the good of the other. 
not primarily about our good. And y'all, you know, when, when I was looking at this text and I was praying, I was thinking about it, I was, I was thinking about, man, what are some applications? And, and, and I think one of the applications is that God might be calling some of y'all to some sort of ministry calling. That's because what he's telling, he's like, if you're going to be a leader in my kingdom, basically, it's not going to go well. <laughs> what he said, you want to come? Never. <laughs> Listen, listen, maybe, maybe God might be calling some of you to shepherd people, to care for people. Beloved, that, that would be a hard thing to do. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Sheep are dumb. I'm one of them too, okay? I ain't, I ain't, I ain't, I ain't but listen, do you know that sometimes when you try to help people that they, like, hurt you, <laughs> especially if they're in pain, and you know if you're a real shepherd, you don't sit there blaming them? You go, okay, they're hurt. And, and I, 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 my, I shepherd and I don't exist to care for them so that they would think I'm awesome. I care for them so that, that I can demonstrate the servanthood of Christ. Beloved, maybe some of y'all are called to teach God's word. And that, that teaching, it doesn't start primarily with what I'm doing right now. It starts on one-on-one conversations. And here's the deal. I don't know if you know this or not, but... Everybody don't like when you try to teach them about God. That, that happens, y'all. That happens. But you say, no, no, maybe I'm called to serve God in this way. Maybe some of y'all are called to some sort of deaconhood or, or servanthood that, that you see a tangible need in the church and in the community. And you're thinking, how can I, if I, if I really take that on, that's going to cost me something. Yes, it will. Yes, it will. Well, that maybe that's where God's calling you. Here's the thing. One of the ways to know where God is calling you is to answer this question. What constantly burdens me? When you're going through life and you see a, a group of people, a, a situation, a type of, what burdens me? That might be God calling you. And beloved, that calling will not be easy and it will not be a rose in the park. That's not even a thing. I made that up. <laughs> humility. Uh, <laughs> that's funny. All right. Some of y'all might be called to be an evangelist, to share God's word. Maybe that's sharing the God's word in groups. We want. Listen, I can't tell you this. I, I have the opportunity to share the gospel a lot, not in this setting. And I tell you, people talk what I'm talking. They talk about me when I'm talking to them. <laughs> they don't look at me. I'm like, did you hear what I said? They're like, nah. Like, it's not like the most honorable thing to do, y'all. Like, <laughs> Like, if, if you're going to step up and share God's word, that people aren't going to be like, thank you so much. I'm like, whatever, you know. But nonetheless, that's what he calls us to do. There are, th- these things are different ways to serve others. And, and it's not always easy, but it follows the path of Jesus. And it leads to two things. People are served and cared for. And in the end, y'all, we get true glory and greatness. So, but I, don't, I don't know what the Lord might be calling you to do. I don't know what, what he's pressing on your heart to do. But here, listen, don't be afraid of what it might cost you because it'll cost you more than you think anyway. So don't be scared. Jesus is going to walk with you. You'll have this beloved and beautiful opportunity to serve those he loves. And we have future glory awaiting us. Christians ought to imitate Jesus, the suffering servant, in order to live out true greatness. Let's pray.
Father, I, I thank you so much for your word and how it speaks uh, directly to our hearts and it, and it, it just it offends our flesh. It offends the part of us that, that looks out for us, but you do that because that part of us will lead us to death. So Lord, uh, uh, offend this sinful, selfish part of us so that we could follow you in holiness with sacrifice just like Christ did. Father, I pray that we will be a, a church that has the attitude of of servanthood, that we're always looking for ways to serve others, that we're not always primarily thinking about what do we get out of it or what kind of accolade will we receive, but we would say, Lord, we are here to serve just like our, our Savior, the Son of Man, even him who did not come to serve to be served, but, but to be served. So Lord, help us to follow you, to honor you, with everything we do, with everything we say, in every avenue and area of our lives. Lord, we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Always respond to God's word. By taking communion, you'll be able to find one of these communion packets uh, in the front of your pew. Christ